Welcome to the 13th episode of the Comic Show on Monkey Sweating Robots. This week, we are talking with the creative team behind Sex Criminals, Matt Fraction, and Chip Sadarsky. We're also talking Batman and reviewing Savage Town from Image Comics. I'm your host, Matthew Sardo. I'm also the co-founder of MonkeySweatingRobots.com. Joining me in the conversation is my co-host, editor of the comic book section on Monkey Sweating Robots, Anthony Combusto. What's up, Internet? If you like the show, please subscribe on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts at. Feedback is uh, very welcome. Please comment, tweet at us. Just let us know how we're doing, what books we should be reading. Rate, review us on iTunes. Breaking news. The comic show is now sponsored by Uncanny Heroes in Tampa. Ivan Plaza, the co-owner of the place, is a great guy. He's a mainstay in the Tampa Bay comic community. You should stop by this Saturday for Batman Day. Artist Jamie Jones, Elliot Fernandez, and Ozzy Fernandez will be there. Uncanny Heroes is located at 12904 North 56th Street in Temple Terrace. Check them out on the web at uncannyheroes.com and like them on Facebook at Uncanny Heroes Tampa. Support your local comic book store, people. Yes, support them. I love that we have a a sponsor now. That's that's awesome. Uh, Hopefully, guys, stay tuned. We might uh, be able to do some awesome stuff now. And I'm going to have to take a drive over to your neck of the woods over there and check these guys out myself. Yeah, and I'm actually going to go there tomorrow and do a live cast on Facebook and kind of browse over what we liked this week and kind of just do a a shortened live version of our podcast. Awesome. Kind of like what I uh, used to do on Facebook before we started the podcast. Yeah, you know, you were in in the field reporter. Now you're like in the booth, a desk jockey. Yeah, the the field, the field work was getting to me, man. You know, the field work was just uh, not (laughs) awesome. So everyone check out Facebook. Well, by the time, uh, by the time this episode goes up, you'll probably have done it already. Anyway, moving on, guys, I got a quick correction from our last episode from episode 12. We uh, we were talking about Batman, talked about Kite Man. And we were talking, oh, it's got to build up to something. Uh, and you were like, oh, I bet Kite Man dies. Like, Kite Man's going to die. And uh, I kind of fed into it. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe. And then I realized, like, literally after we turned off the mics, I realized Kite Man can't die. Because earlier in Tom King's run, that takes place in the present day, he's alive. He's flying around. So uh, just a quick correction for all of you sticklers out there who may have listened to the episode and thought, psh, these guys don't know what the hell they're talking about. We do. We just had a little mind fart. We could still kill Kite Man. And then what just like present day, it's a it's a different guy in the suit. Someone else picked up the Kite Man mantle. I don't know. I you you opened up wounds right now, and I think we're just gonna touch on Batman thirty one right now because nothing happened in that damn book. <laughs> God damn. All right, yeah, let's do a let's, we'll do a rapid review on it. I I it, it's a slow burn. The whole war of jokes and riddles has been a slow burn. But there's been stuff that's happened in other books where it's like, oh, okay, this has got some juicy stuff. But this was like a lot of yipping and yammering. And then like, hey, guys, we just yipped and yammered for 22 pages. See you in a month and we'll hopefully give you a finale then. And this is me with the biggest, my biggest problem in the comic book industry is with comic books like this. There's the buildup. Like they keep building up like Civil War built up. Like oh, I'm trying to think of all the other big crossovers that built up. And then there really isn't a payoff. There's like kind of a payoff, but like when you have one issue to wrap up everything and then also punch you in the face with something like it's really hard to be impactful that way. I mean, there there really there are two approaches to it, right? It's a penultimate issue. Next issue is the end of the war. So it's kind of like exactly what you just said. Either you do everything in this issue, you finish it off and the next issue is like an epilogue wrapping up 
or or this issue is set up for the finale. There's really one or two ways to do it. They chose this way. Um, think about again. I know we've used this excuse before, but think about when you read it as a collection. Like it'll make a lot more sense. It'll flow a lot more smoothly having this be a build up to the final confrontation. Yeah, but comics shouldn't be a tool to sell trades. I mean, like there's got to be an element to it to where you're like, hey, I feel like the two ninety nine or three ninety nine or the five ninety nine I spent was worth it. And it wasn't just me biding my time to reread all the books in trade form for me to get a better experience out of it. No, you're right. And it wasn't wasn't a boring read to me. I mean, you had I love the Joker in this issue. I love like the manic, like unraveling Joker who couldn't even tell a joke straight. He had to keep correcting himself. You had a cool fight scene between Joker and Riddler. Like it wasn't just a talk, talk, talk issue. There was some stuff going on in it. They all crashed through the windows with their kites. on. Yeah, they all had kites. They all put kites on. Again, with me, if next issue, uh, the big ish, the big thing about it is, is what does Catwoman say in the proposal? But if this issue or even next issue was the bad deed that happened, whatever happened between Riddler, Joker and Batman, like that couldn't, you know, that this is Batman's darkest moment happened. And then the next issue, Catwoman and Batman are kind of discussing what happened, and then she gives her answer. And then, then you have two issues that are like, bam, worthy moments. But if you put both of them in the same thing, I feel like you're getting gypped. Yeah, I'm guessing her answer is going to be the cliffhanger of next issue, and then we'll deal with the fallout, the following issue. Like next issue. Oh, we will won't be get the- an answer, so you won't get the answer? No, I think you'll get the answer. I think that the next issue will be the conclusion to the war. That'll be the main, that'll be like the A plot. That'll be the whole story. And then the last few issues will be Bruce and Selena in the present day wrapping up. And on the last page, last panel is when you'll probably get Selena's answer. Because they said next issue is the answer. So, and then uh, the following issue will probably be the the fallout from it, whether she says yes or no. Mm. You say say she's going to say no. So it'll be the fallout and Bruce being all sad and mopey. Yeah, and that's why he then, you know, goes in a dark terror. And takes the powers from all his friends in the dark universe. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that. I do just want to say before we move on from Batman 31, I know you are a big fan of lettering. You're always talking about lettering and and you want to praise lettering as as it should be praised. Uh, I thought Clayton Cowles did a really good job on this issue. I just I pick up on the little things and I really like how in the caption boxes to differentiate between past tense Batman and present tense Batman, the the lettering box has changed. So like if it's Batman in the past during the war thinking something or saying something off panel, it's a perfect square, the caption box. And if it's Batman in the present day narrating, the caption box is kind of like cut off and, and edgy and stuff just to differentiate it. I like little subtle things like that just to indicate uh, a difference. So Clayton Cowles, one of the best in the business. We've talked about him before somehow. Uh, unsurprisingly, this guy is uh, on all the top books out there. So, and with like lettering and with a book like this, like I read this and I understood everything that was going on, and that's when you know a letterer is doing their job. Like when you have to like turn back a page and like, wait a second, did I miss something or what's going on? Like that's when the the lettering doesn't match up properly to convey the message that the writer's trying to get across or you know there's there's like some sort of disconnect with it but this is one of those where it's where it's complicated because there's tom king so he's a lot of words so you're like and there's a lot of stuff going on and there's a lot of action going on as well where 
you kind of just understood everything that was going on and, and you kind of just flows. And like Met Cadet U number two came out last week and there was a panel of action in it where I didn't understand what was going on. And I had to kind of like figure out to where like this book, like all the art, everything is working with this book, you know, as far as like the art, the lettering, the writing, the coloring, my only thing is that nothing really happened in this issue. And we're just like, okay, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it. Well, then, as long as we're talking Batman, if you want to move on to uh, the, the other coolest Batman, shit ever. Yeah, I want to talk uh, about the coolest shit ever. All right, guys, we are going to talk about Batman The Red Death issue one. This is a metal tie-in. It is the first of the Dark Knights tie-in. If you read metal issue two last week, we missed last week. We didn't have an episode last week, so we didn't get to talk about it. But if you read Metal Issue 2, you know the Dark Knights are here. And now we're getting all of these spinoff books where we are going to be getting their their backstory. This is the first one, uh, the Red Death being kind of the, the Flash-Batman hybrid. It's written by Joshua Williamson, who's the writer on the main Flash comic. Art by Carmine D. Jan Domenico. Colors from Ivan Placencia. Letters from Tom Napolitano or Nobladano, if you want to pronounce it like an Italian person. I don't know. But uh, it's great. So you have a whole Flash team on here, people who know the Flash and know how to draw and write for a speedster. Matt, you have been itching to talk about this book since we uh, signed on here, so why don't you go ahead? You're wearing your Flash shirt right now. Uh, yeah, even. I even got my Flash shirt on right now. I wonder how much Scott Snyder outlined this book. That was my question when it came out. It's like, did Scott just be like, okay, this is what happened, this is his origin and then just hand it off to the team and like you guys write how it goes down that I would love to, I would love to know how much Scott outlined this and then how much Joshua like expanded off of it. Well, next time we talk to Scott, we could definitely ask him that. I'm going to assume that Scott at the very least provided outlines. And even if it's just like, you know, Oh, make sure you hit, you know, these three beats and then, you know, the respective writers filled in the in between. But uh, I'd have to imagine that Scott being the architect behind metal did have most of the uh, thought process behind it. I mean, he does get special credit in the in the credits. You know, they say, you know, special thanks to Scott Snyder and James Tinney and the fourth who, you know, wrote the prelude issues. So I'm sure they had input on it. I I loved that this story like this is essential. Like if you guys are wondering, oh, do I need to read the metal tie ins or can I just read the main story? I don't know where Metal 3 is going to go, but this issue was essential in filling in some backstory on the Dark Multiverse, what the Dark Multiverse is, why it came about, and what you know the whole deal is and why the Dark Knights are coming. So definitely pick this up if you're invested in Batman Metal. Because I thought the Dark Knights were dumb. When I saw them, I was like, these are dumb. Because it was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, they're all Batman versions of the justice league and i was like this is dumb and then i read this issue and i was like i love the dark knights now and i want to like see all their stories and i want to read all their how they all come together uh it was just i really want to know like again spoiler alerts we're not going to get too deep into but we're going to talk about some stuff but the red death if that's what we're calling him is Bruce Wayne. It's Batman from this alternate Earth, Earth 52. I can't believe they shot their wad on Earth 52 already. No, but like this is, no, no, this is Dark Earth 52. Oh, so it's like Earth Everything, negative 52? Yeah. Whatever it is. 
No, this is, this is. is the upside down. This is like Stranger Things. <laughs> it is like Stranger Things. But it's Bruce who went dark, went rogue. Um, again, so spoiler alert, the dark multiverse is basically worlds where one bad, it's the killing joke, one bad day, one bad choice kind of sent everything into a tailspin. And uh, Bruce, having lost his family, decides that he's going to steal the speed force from Barry Allen. So it is Bruce. So I'm wondering if all the other versions, all the other Dark Knights are like Bruce Wayne having stolen these things. Like, is the Wonder Woman Bruce? Like, how, how did he steal Wonder Woman's power? Is the Green Lantern Dark Knight Bruce having, you know, killed Hal and taking his late ring? Like, I, I really am looking forward to the rest of these now. Oh, and I wanted to talk about this because we Dark Knight's Metal 2 came out last week. And this is 1.2. I love that this is all Grant Morrison's fault. Yes. How it was all when he went back in time. Right. I was like, wait a second. I read it and I was like, oh my God, Scott Snyder just blamed Grant Morrison for everything. I was like, this is amazing. I was like, because I wasn't a huge fan of that kind of, you, you took Batman out of what Batman is when you did that. And I was just like, uh, but now we have this huge epic event and it's all Grant Morrison's fault. To be fair, Scott's not like blaming him. Scott Snyder has made it clear on numerous occasions that he has great respect for Grant Morrison and what he did with Batman. Like he's, he's, I think he would say that he's honoring it more than he's blaming it. All right. Well, I mean, Grant Morrison's run is basically destroying the DC universe as we know it. I mean, you can split we, hairs all you want. It's his fault. We all, we all know my personal feelings on Grant Morrison. I'm just defending. Scott you just, you just want to defend Scott Snyder's honor. Uh, where I'm just I, I just like, want to take an opposite stance on what anything that is you say <laughs> at any given time. Because <laughs> I, I don't see Grant Morrison's name in any of these special thanks. I see special thanks, and I see Batman's great goodbye. But I want to, I want to, I want to, I want like a nice little thing where it's like DC Universe destroyed by Grant Morrison, restored by Scott Snyder. <laughs> okay, so I love the art in this book. Oh, you keeping uh, this on track? Keeping this on track? Yeah. Before we go down one of our infamous rabbit holes. <laughs> I love the art in this book. Again, Carmine is a great Flash artist. He's worked on the main Flash book, and he's really good at like displaying lightning and speed and all that stuff. But how effing cool was it to see Batman like standing there, holding like the Rogue's weapons, like Captain Cold's gun, wearing his goggles, like Weather Wizard's wand? Like, how epic was that shot? That is a good shot. That is, and I love how the Flash is like talking shit to him and everything like that, and like. Batman's like, I'm just smarter. I'm smarter than you are. I'll just, you know, and then he's just, it's just a really good, a good episode. And then how, how far do you want to talk about this? Because can we talk about everything? Uh, yeah, guys, at this point, we're, I think uh, we're going to veer a little bit more into uh, some more in-depth things. So again, if you haven't read it, pause it, go out, buy it. It's in stores now. All right, go ahead. Spoil away, sir. Because you know that the Red Death is there. So you know that the inevitability of this battle is going to go Bruce Wayne's way. Like, you know that kind of, yeah. sort of. But I love that Bruce Wayne and Barry Allen are now merged and they're like Firestorm where they yes. have two brains in there. I was like, oh my god, this is like, there was so many goosebumps in this book that I was just so excited about just all the nerdy superhero shit that was going on in it. No, it was awesome. There's so much to unpack. So many like nice little uh, awesome Easter eggs. Did you notice that there's a bunch of subtle visual references to Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns? Oh like, yeah, yeah. This is this is straight up 
As yeah, soon as I saw some it, I was like, where it's just like totally just like ripped out of Dark Knight Returns. Like it's pure homage. It is awesome. So so yeah, it, it's just it's chock full. It's I. I I'm not going to say that I wasn't looking forward to these tie-ins, but again, whenever there's an event and there's like a million tie-in books, inevitably you're like, oh, marketing, like unnecessary things. But this book, maybe it's because I had low expectations, but this book got me fucking hyped. Yeah, no, this is, this is good. And then just how it like falls apart. Like it's just everything, everything comes together and then falls apart. And I'm just like, I don't know what's going on. And then, and then how it then switch over to our world. Or not our world, but like the mainstream, yeah, the Earth ma- Zero. Earth Zero. I was like, oh my god, this shit is gonna go crazy. And like, where do you follow this to? Did they have? Did they tell you? No, they don't. They don't no, tell it's you. Just, it's just happening parallel to the main metal story. So like, when when we get back to Earth Zero, you know, they're talking about, oh, Batman's missing. The Justice League is looking for Batman, which was you know happening in Metal Issue Two. So they're they're parallel to each other. And so I guess when Dark uh, Metals 3 shows up and flashes with Dr. Fate, we kind of know what's going on then. Yeah, I would assume so. You know, I don't know if they're, you know, and then you'll have the little editor's boxes saying, oh, why is Flash with Dr. Fate? Check out Batman the Red Death, issue one. And did they just kill Wally West? Fake Wally West? Whoa, 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 whoa. Like I was going to say Black Wally West, and I thought that was insulting, but then you said fake Wally West, and I feel like that's more insulting. I, I, and you know what I say that I don't even I don't even I don't even hate New Wally like I I'm kind of indifferent towards New Wally but I don't know I still maybe they're using this as a way to write him out I mean are they gonna do, are they gonna write him out eventually I don't know but I'm I'm sure I'm sure they wouldn't kill him off in a event tie-in book if they were gonna kill him off it would be either in the Flash book or the Teen Titans book if they if they were gonna do no because so. this Wally could totally be in the Teen Titans and I would be fine with it like he is in the Teen Titans right I know but then like. The, I don't know, is he older Wally? Is it older? Did they ever establish how old that Wally was? Does he have his kids, he, wife and kids somewhere? No, they that was all erased in the timeline. He remembers it. Like, he remembers having a wife and kids, but his his wife doesn't. So uh, he's he, he retains all the memories of pre-52, and uh, he's he's not as old as he was when, uh, when New 52... When Flashpoint happened and, you know, everything happened, he was not quite as old as he was when that left off. He's a little bit younger. He's around Nightwing's age. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. I was, I, I, Again, I thought this was like a cash grab, and I read it, and I was like, this is the most exciting thing. This is the most exciting spinoff tie-in book I've ever read in an event series. Do you think... My only thing with it, and, and I again, I love this issue. I thought it was great, but... Do you feel like would Batman do this? Like again, I, I understand the whole concept is one bad day. That's the whole dark multiverse concept is that you make a wrong decision and it spins everything out. Is that the whole is control. that the whole dark multiverse huh? concept? Has that been established? Yeah. yeah. I, that that's how I read it anyway. Yeah, that's the dark multiverse are these worlds where one bad choice sends everything into a tailspin and that's why all these worlds are dying and the dark knights are coming to earth zero now. Okay. I wasn't but, sure if that was just like this one Earth's undoing kind like of thing. Joker's, Joker's done that before. Joker has tried to prove, oh, one day bad day can break you. And Batman's, tr- you know, triumphed time and time again. Like he's lost Damien, you know, he's lost Tim Drake. He's lost Jason Todd before. 
And, you know, I understand it's an alternate Earth and an alternate Batman, but, you know, it, it's, you know, it's maybe just something we have to deal with that, sure, okay, on this Earth, Batman succumbed to the the torment. Maybe it was just the fact of losing everyone at once instead of one by one. I don't know, but that was, that was my only question. I'm not, I'm not going to say gripe. I'm not going to say complaint. My only question about it was, uh, you know, would would Batman really do this? Well, if it's a dark universe, like there's something a little bit off. So is it really Batman or is it really Bruce Wayne? I mean, it is. All these worlds are regular worlds up to the point of, you know, the one mistake. Right. But it's a dark universe. Like it's, you know, when I, when I think of a dark universe, I think of Star Trek where Spock has a mustache, you know, like it's the, it's a no, it was a it was a whole Van Dyke. It wasn't yeah, just a mustache. You know, like it's a it's a it, you know it's not a Doppler ganger, but like it's just, it's there's something dark in it. You know, since it's dark, it's got to have more evil than light because it's dark. So that one right. well, one bad day is what then spirals everybody out to where in the light, one bad day you're like I got support, I got friends, I got this, and like, and I got hope. But you don't have that in the dark, so it kind of just spirals out. I guess that's you know my deep thought on that one. Understandable. How many robots, sir? Four and a half robots. Four and a half robots. I will match your four and a half. And you'll give it four and a half monkeys. Yes, four and a half monkeys. It's uh, it's gonna be the the left side of the monkey's face is gonna be the half. Oh, the left side. Yeah, not the left the, side. Not the right side of the monkey's face. No, this is gonna be the left side. Oh man, I, I I'm I never had a book get me excited for tie-ins before, and this book has me excited for tie-ins, and I, I I'm blown away. Blown again, away. I don't wanna I don't wanna keep shitting on Marvel week after week. That's this this podcast, you know, is not supposed to be about putting anyone down or anything like that. We're supposed to be celebrating comics, but you know, for if we're comparing apples to apples here. DC, again, is just showing that they, they want to respect their readers, they want to respect their fan base and give them quality content and not feel like they're dicking around, whereas Marvel has their big event going on right now with Legacy and they have all of their generation tie-ins. And, you know, we were talking last episode about how – or two episodes ago, whenever it was, about how uh, how kind of pointless they've been and how they do feel like a cash grab. So, again, I don't want to get too far into the weeds on that one, but, you know, they, they are the two biggest – companies in the industry so it's kind of hard not to compare them each week we want to bring you an interview either from a beat reporter from monkeys fighting robots or a comic book creator or creators because this week we have the creative team from sex criminals volume four from image comics comes out this week we're going to talk to matt fraction and chip sadarsky about sex criminals, like all of it. Like I read volume one through four Sunday night. And that was like the most bizarre reading experience ever. Like I couldn't tell my wife, my wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm like just go away. Just go away. Cause uh, this is just some weird shit I'm reading. I'm reading a comic about how people have sex with hair. I think <laughs> maybe I was that's so weird. So it was, it's, it's an interesting book. I don't know. I think the first two volumes are really, really good. And then it's hitting this like meta level for three and four. And I don't know how you re- 
rebound off of that. It's 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 an interesting book. It's worth your time. It's worth a read. Time magazine called it the greatest comic book ever in the world, alive universe. I don't know. It got well. I don't know. I don't know if they said they did. They did say it was. They did rank it. I don't know if they went that far. But I mean, it's it's got some epic praise, and it's worth your time. And it's it's funny. It's sad. It's interesting. It's weird. And that's all you want from a comic book. And let's welcome Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky to the big show. Matt, Chip, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you for having us. I read all four... All right, guys, good call. (laughs) (laughs) I read all four trades last night to prepare for this interview, and in my head I voiced Susie with Zoe Deschanel and Jasmine St. Cocaine with Christy Alley, which made for an entertaining read on my end. What voices do you use for the characters? Myself, Susie is my voice, and John is Matt's voice. (laughs) <laughs> that's funny uh susie's my voice and john is your voice in my head what oh my gosh chum we did it again <laughs> you guys cram just there's a ton of visual gags in sex criminals in the background storefronts and all that stuff how much of that yeah. is uh matt in your script versus chip your execution of it like one one percent is maybe script uh, really that well, little i mean it, it, it depends on the issue Usually what will happen is Matt will have an idea for a background gag. Or, like, if we go into, like, you know, the porn shop, like, he'll have five or six kind of ideas of what can be in there. And then my kind of compulsion to keep adding to it kicks in. And then what, what ended up happening was, like, Matt doesn't see the final art until it's done, done. And part of that is because I love surprising him with my dumb background gags. That's hysterical. I love how meta the book gets at time, not just in like the storefront gags, but you, even the two of you making several appearances along the way. Those are always my favorite moments. Was uh, was that was was this kind of the tone you had in mind from the start, or did this abstract nature grow and evolve with the comic? No, it kind of came out in the writing. I think it was sort of the ways we 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 sneak around kind of the the difficult stuff that we were actually talk about the sort of serious stuff, the heavy stuff is through, you know, dick jokes and, and uh, taking advantage. It's, it's, a, it's a comic about a world where people freeze time, but all time in comics is frozen. Like it's sort of, it's, it has something inherently meta <laughs> in it. So it just seemed like a natural way to extend and, and explore that we're already taking advantage of a medium that entirely is predicated on, you know, our fundamental joke. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, our original kind of concept of the series had more meta in it because we were going to do a whole thing where Matt and I would be there in, like, bathrobes giving sex advice. Right. Oh, that's right. That's right. Like narrators. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that idea was terrible. (laughs) Oh, so bad. Why would we even do that? (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, listen, but you have to have the bad ideas to get to the good ideas, right? Yeah, exactly. You have to have the bad ideas to get to the marginally better ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true writer. And when I was reading the trades last night, I tried to remember how I felt watching Kevin Smith's Chasing Amy for the first time. I'm 40, so uh, it's been a few years since I, I watched it for the first time when it came out in the theaters. And how I've changed as a person. And Sex Criminals reads on several emotional levels. At what point did you guys realize you were working with something special? Let's see. What date is it? It's the it's the eighteenth. 
I I think like when we originally batted the idea around before we actually kind of got into issue one, um, I thought it would just be a fun idea. Like it was just Matt and I kind of doing a dumb joke book for each other. During our conversations, when we started to flesh out the characters in the world, and I think at one point Matt said to me, like, I think I'm falling in love with the characters. Like, there was, like, that moment where we kind of crossed over from, like, writing this dumb book for each other to writing a book that we knew would have some sort of emotional impact for each other. We didn't really know that we would have that kind of impact on anyone else. That didn't yeah. come about until after a couple of issues were on the stands and we got the feedback. Yeah, I, I think first and foremost, in like every book that I've ever done, has, has always been, you know, a kind of a weird love letter to my collaborators. And it's been a collaboration and a partnership first and foremost. And that's sort of like in any given gig, the job is, my job as far as I'm concerned, is like to, to write something that some crazy bastard wants to spend however long it takes to draw it, to draw it, you know? And, and, and that's that. And everything else is gravy. Everything else is wonderful and unexpected. Um, but yeah, we, the first version, the first finished version of the script was not good. And we, both of us realized we didn't want to work on it because comics are a lot of work and nothing is done by accident. And it was just, oh boy, it was a lot of work to not really be into it, uh, by the end. But then kind of the idea of, making it Susie's story instead of John's happened and, and everything opened up. Yeah. And you talked about the amount of work and I saw in a previous interview, you have up to issue 24 written and you're halfway through issue 25. How much time do you think you've spent just researching the comic book? Well, I've you know, been beating off since I was 13. <laughs> so really almost 30 years of research has gone into the book. Um, <laughs> is that what you mean? No, no, no. I, no. Exactly. Uh, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, it, it, it sort of it sort of depends. Uh, it depends on what you know. There's there's an entire there's an entire Planned Parenthood uh, sequence, uh, literally taken from the webpage of Planned Parenthood. That kind of just took as long as it took to copy and paste and turn into speaking speakable English speaking English boy. But then there's other stuff, the physics stuff, the time stuff. A lot of the kind of history stuff will require you know actual research. The 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 little men. That's an actual thing. Like that's a real uh, uh, a somatic, somatosensory map of how, like if 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 the parts of our body with the most nerve endings, the most sensitive parts of our body were the biggest, that's what a dude would look like, right? That sort of weird little homunculus monster. But that was there was a lot of research that went into that kind of just it's a long way to go to make dumb jokes about little weird brown Smurfs humping. I guess like burgundy Smurfs. <laughs> Humping a burrito, but... Well, this is the thing with this... Sorry to cut you off, but with this kind of type of book and this type of content, I mean, with with lazy research and lazy writing, you could insult a whole population of people out there. And that's... This this book doesn't come off insulting or or condescending. It it seems compassionate to me. Well, that's that's, that's, the tricky. The only people we make fun of is me and Chip. Like, that's, that's the rule, you know? Yeah. And beyond just the, you know, the research research, there's another level of research where, like I know even before issue one, Matt talked to a lot of people, a lot of like, you know, women in his life about their experiences. And and part of the research is just kind of keeping yourself open to hearing the stories of people, Mm -hmm. not necessarily seeking out stories, but, you know, just being receptive to them. 
right. think that's eight of the book of tongues. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I think, I mean, I think on some level that that's that's just what writing is, right? Like it's just it's empathy. Writing is a continuing, continuous act of finding empathy with and for your fellow people. Yeah. Can you guys talk about the evolution of the letters column in your book? Because it's become such a defining feature of sex criminals. Did you ever expect it to become what it's become? Chip did. In fact, Chip, uh, I lost $100 in a bet to Chip. Chip said, listen, this letter column is going to become a community of like, no, I don't, I don't no. know how you could have ever have predicted such a miraculous group of weirdos coming together. Yeah, you kind of like, you pray at the beginning that you'll get some letters, uh, only because you still have a certain number of pages of space that you need to fill up, and we didn't want to necessarily put ads in our book. And uh, we were pleasantly surprised when the letters came in and uh, then it turned into this crazy community. Maybe that's a new, maybe that's something new we could do is like, instead of like sketch covers, like sketch interiors, <laughs> if the letter column ever dries up, we'll just sprinkle eight blank pages with like random squares. <laughs> invite, <laughs> invite, the, invite the reader to, you know, maybe you have a better ending than us. Go ahead and fix it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And Matt, you talked about collaboration, and Chip, you talked about not showing Matt the final product until it's the final product. How does that working relation work? And then you guys are, this the four trades are out, the four trade is out, coming out uh, next week, I believe. And how have you guys evolved collaborating together? Because it sounds like you guys are super friendly and jokey together and and. That's not something that is that something that just happened, or did it? You have to work at it. For me, at first, I've never worked with anyone before. Like uh, all of my jobs and all of my comics kind of revolved around me just kind of doing my own thing. So I think I apologized to Matt way more than I should have at the beginning. Like <laughs> when, when we'd be working on a thing, and I, I felt like you know I had to slightly change the angle of a panel or something. I'd like apologize and. You know, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm, it's very Canadian, very, very Canadian. <laughs> you would be the same. You would apologize to me. You know, when you need an art change, right? Yeah, like, right. Of course, we're going to need art changes. Like, I'm giving you the final product, uh, sight unseen beforehand. But, but, uh, but now, like, there's, there's a much more kind of level of trust, I think, right. and natural rhythm. Like, I think neither of us necessarily has to kind of like pass the thing by the other person, though we want to. I think it's a difference between feeling we need to and feeling like we want to. Like, I, I want to involve Matt in discussions, you know, about the right. art. He wants to involve me uh, about uh, story ideas. So, yeah, as, as the kind of friendship evolved, the yeah. relationship got better. And, I mean, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't be doing this without Chip. It's not like, like we came up with this because we wanted to work together. It's not like I had just like, you know, well, if I can't get you, I'm going to call Sean Phillips and try and pry him away from Ed Brubeck or whatever. Like, like, no, no, this was developed like you and me. This was our thing. This is our, our thing we're going to do together. Yeah. I mean, if you stopped, I would uh, ask Jeff Lemire to do it. No, but you should. He, that guy's so fast. That he just, <laughs> so you know, fast. yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you guys, at what issue do you guys think you, you started to click on, on the, on the level? We're hoping for uh, 26. <laughs> I would say six was the turning point. Six was the one where we had to have kind of 
more discussion about that issue and had, right. to, be, had to kind of put our cards on the table. But that's where it ended up changing from just this, like, kind of, like, comedy crime romp to a book about, you know, depression, emotion, relationships. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was... It was I think you can even see the first arc. You can see it sag where it became clear that we weren't going to have to wrap up at the end of issue four. And suddenly like, Oh, we have to figure where are we going now? What are we doing? We can do this. It's, it's, it was a story. Suddenly we had more highway if we wanted to keep driving. So yeah, six is sort of where it became really kind of, it sort of started to fulfill the promise of the premise in a real way. Yeah. yeah and also six was the one that was filled with pressure. Because by the time five was done and, you know, we had the trade, um, there was already enough kind of buzz and uh, success around the book that six felt like a big deal. And so right. it took longer to write, longer to draw, longer to kind of figure out. But, but right. It was like writing a first issue all over again. It really was. But once, because, you know, I had huge concerns when I first got the script to six. Because I'm like, oh, wow, this is like, this is a, this is a. Man, you forgot the jokes. Well, it was, a, it was a turn. There were jokes, but there was, there was a big, it was kind of a 180, it felt like. But also, you know, I felt like I could talk to Matt about it and recognize after talking to him that, oh, wait, no, this is this is good. This is the book for us, and, and we'll see where it goes. And, like, you know, any kind of hesitation I had at that point was gone right. because it worked. It 100% worked as a story. Like, I think Six is one of the strongest issues. And... uh I think that's a result of like Matt having the courage to to take this thing that could have just been a dumb fun romp and, and make it a book with with even more substance. I I need to know: Did you guys actually reach out to Queen to use Fat Bottom Girls, yep. or was that just for the gag? Yep, we did. We, we did it twice. We did twice. it once. And if you know, doing once the trade. Yeah, yeah. The the issue post-it notes are different than the ones collected in the trade because we had gone through it again trying to clear it for the collection. Oh man, I I see. I read single issue to single issue, and uh, I'm almost glad that it turned out the way it did because those post-it notes are one of the high points of the whole series for me. Yeah, I mean it's a better joke without the lyrics, but those real lyrics are underneath those sticky notes because we were waiting up until the last possible second like sent it to the printer and everything to just when literally was the last layer. page. Yeah. We had uploaded everything, but that, yeah, I was just ready to drag that layer into the trash and reveal the lyrics. But yeah, never quite happened. And I read the trade. So you mentioned harassing Brian may. What, what does that mean? Oh, well, he apparently his, his, he, he is the sort of gatekeeper to all things queen. It all kind of goes through Brian May, Brian May's attorney or Queen's attorney. However, it works. It was all Brian May, and we we were we were told copies were were on Brian May's desk. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, got that far. Yeah. Well, that's all we know. And what can we expect from the next arc of Sex Criminals? It's called Five Finger Discount. Fingered is past tense, and based on kind of where we end with Volume Four. We sort of pick up several months later, and everybody's status quo has changed in some way. We catch up with everyone. We sort of see how life has changed. We see where people are at, and and then and then start to push them all forward. Yeah. Also, yeah, do we do we go? There? And it's absolutely my favorite thing in the world. 
and I wish I could write Undercover Dewey every month. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, we should just do one extra issue after we're all done. It's just Dewey Undercover. That's all it is. Just Dewey taking on other jobs. Yeah. I'm hoping Dewey he doesn't is- get caught. I'm not really... Yeah, Dewey is the cover for uh, Volume Five too. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 how that's how like it's Dewey's big moment, Dewey's hero moment. Yeah, he's he's the new heart of the book. Does Susie get a superpower in this arc? Well, that'd be telling. I, I, I tell you. Yeah, yeah, she finds a Green Lantern ring. <laughs> yeah. You know, grieving after John dies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's she's so sad after after John passes that yeah. <laughs> her power is activated by sadness. Gentlemen, thank don't you. tell anyone, okay? No, this, this is going straight and right the bleeding cool. This is going to be the facts that are going straight <laughs> to bleeding cool. <laughs> Great, <laughs> gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you oh, for thank having you. us. And Chip, it was really nice to meet you finally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, your voice sounds so much more um, Matt-ish than I thought it would. Yeah, no, I, I you know, I gave your, in, in my head I imagined you speaking with a sort of maple leaf smoothness that uh, uh, I find is, uh, was sort of right on the money. I couldn't be more, yeah. more pleased. That was Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky. Sex Criminals Volume 4 is out this week from Image Comics. Buy it, read it. The first three volumes are pretty amazing. So maybe start there first if you haven't read it. And... They're a fun group, aren't they? Yeah, I was so looking forward to that interview. They are hysterical. They're just totally, they just, they feel like real dudes. I mean, obviously they're real dudes, but just like they, they just, they have fun. They, they love what they do, obviously, and they just have fun with it. I could just listen to them kind of banter back and forth for hours. I don't even know. It was great. I don't know what it is, but Matt Fraction on the phone reminds me of Johnny Knoxville. So I was just all confused during this interview. I just I just love how open and honest he is with everything. Like when you asked him how much research he's done, he's like, Oh well I've been beating off since I was thirteen, so Yeah, I was that was not what I was asking about at all. <laughs> maybe maybe we should have put like a warning at the top of the interview, just like, Oh hey, we uh it's a book called Sex Criminals. Things get a little raunchy in this segment. Oh man. But it was fun times. Uh I think those guys are pretty cool and I I held I bit my tongue and I didn't ask Chip to talk to Andy about the webbing on Spider Man's costume, but I think I might send him an email. Yeah, good luck with that. You you do that and tell me how it goes. <laughs> Savage Town is out this week from Image Comics. It's written by Declan Shalvey, drawn by Philip Barrett, colored by Jody Belair, lettered by Clayton Cowles. Another. Clayton Cowell's book this week. I told you, this guy does everything. This is an original graphic novel. It's not a single issue. It is um, you know, a longer form story. It is. It takes place in Limerick City, Ireland. It's kind of a story about thugs. Jimmy Savage is this kind of mid-level thug. And it kind of just goes through his, uh, his experiences, you know, dealing with higher-level gangsters, his family, so on and so forth. It's very, very interesting read. And Declan, he is actually from Dublin, Ireland. Declan is from there. Jordi Belair currently lives there with him. I don't know if she lives with him, but she she lives in Ireland as well. Hey, you better watch that. Bleeding Cool might pick up that rumor and be like, hey, Declan and Jordi, they're uh, flatmates. I don't know. Like, I don't know personal lives. I don't get into, you know, relationship 
things with with celebrities, but they I don't even know they might be. Together. I mean, they're 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 a team. They're a partnership. They they work together a lot. They have their own studio together, Red Cube Studio. So I don't um I don't know. Maybe they are together. I don't I don't know. I don't get into that stuff. So if they are, they are. If they're not, they're not. If you know, tweet us. Let us know. What happened there, man? I felt like you got nervous. I wasn't like prodding you for information on who's dating who. I was just you know. <laughs> making fun of bleeding cool i was making fun of bleeding cool man come on go with the jokes i just wanted to present accurate information very um hence bleeding cool joke fine joke i'll I'll edit all of this out later (laughs) (laughs) oh man um this is a graphic novel and it's full-blown irish jig language and all that stuff that you don't understand from Snatch is in this book, so you have to read it. This book is interesting yet simplistic at the same time. I know it's so simplistic. Like you and I were kind of talking before we came on air about how it's very much just like a, a, a movie, kind of like a Train Spotting or a Richard Linklater movie or or early Kevin Smith, where it's just it's just a simple story. It's a day in the life. There's no like you know major. It's not like it's not not like a typical structure where it's you know, you know a, a a traditional plot. It's very it's very European in that sense. I think it's worth the money. I was trying to figure out. Like I mean, I read it. I was like, oh my god, I just read a movie script. <sighs> it's it's tiring to read because it's all in the Irish language that you have to like kind of sound everything out to figure out what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, it's phonetic. It's very phonetic. <laughs> Um, and and it's not even it's not even Irish because it it's very specific Irish slang. Like if it was, I don't know what the name for that is. We gotta call up Gary and see if he can tell us. But I know like in in England it's like a Cockney accent, right? Where it's kind of like the the um lower class kind of like you know dropping your whatever. They're dropping everything. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. Um, I feel like there's letters that are needed to complete a word here. But it's it's interesting. It's um, I'm trying to think. It had like an you. I think did you put that it has like a crumb feel to the artwork? Yeah, it was the the art to me. It's it's kind of raw and very interesting. It's not clean. It does. It kind of feels like a Harvey Pecker or an R Crumb style artwork. Not like not. It's not a perfect match, but it's that's the vibe that I was getting from it. Yeah. And then Jordy makes everything look beautiful with the inks. Oh man. The colors in this book are... I mean, yeah, the colors, not the inks. I'm a shite. Come on, man. Shite! Come on. Uh, no, the colors in this book are definitely a high point. It's awesome. The art also kind of had, to me, uh, at times, a, a, a Steve Dillon vibe, the late Steve Dillon, which I don't know if that was in my head because the book is dedicated to the late Steve Dillon, so maybe his name was just in my head, but there were there were moments through here where I could, I could see an influence. Yeah, uh, all the faces just had the crumb feel to me where they just had that look to him and it was interesting it kind of just like grew the book grew on me sort of like a fungus i I like that about a longer form story is that you you have more time to get invested in these characters and they grow on you whereas if if this was broken up into several issues you know the first issue you know might not you know do it for you as much because you didn't have enough time to kind of like get to know jimmy savage and and his friends and uh, you know see their personal lives and stuff. So I like, I like a longer form story. 
and I'm I'm assuming this is turning into a series. I thought this was going to be like a one one off graphic novel, but this is clearly going to be a, a series. I don't know if I'd want to read more. Like it's very. I know they leave like a little feeler at the end of a guy getting out of prison that kind of could be the next chapter, but like, I don't know if I want to read more. I think this is, is self-contained to where it needs to be. And, and it just, it's, I feel like it's just a revolving cycle that happens in this town. Like, I feel like it'll, you'd just be repeating the same story if you continued it. Yeah, and guys, if you are looking just for a complete story, this offers that as well. It, it, it's a nice little self-contained story, but it does leave the door open for more things. Yeah, you described it as kind of like a never-ending cycle and this stuff always, you know, just keeps happening or whatever. I I like stories like that, like so like shows like Atlanta or Better Things, both on FX or, or Louie when Louie was on. Again, they kind of remind me of a story like this where – it's not a typical story structure. You're not going to, you might not get the closure or the catharsis that you're looking for, but it's real. Like in a city like this, you're probably not, with these thugs, you're probably not going to get real closure or stuff. You're just, you're going to have a cycle of violence and that's, and that's real. I mean, this, this story is loosely based on true events. It says, so, you know, if, if you don't get the closure or if things just keep happening and it's a cycle of violence, you know, thus is life, right? Crazy. And I do like the way they spell Jesus. That might be how I start spelling Jesus now. Jesus. 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 I love that. About, I'm, I'm, I'm currently also reading through Preacher, you know, <laughs> Garth Ennis and uh, Steve Dillon's Preacher. And Kat, that's, how, that's how they spell Jesus whenever Cassidy says it. Uh, I, I love it. You know, I've started like, I've started like say, reading it in my head like that as well, or saying it in my head like that. Man. And there's a lot of bonus material in this trade as well they break down a lot of things and explain panel structure and and design it's it's interesting there's there's a lot of lot of stuff going on in this book yeah and, and there's there's a lot of there's multiple storylines that kind of all tie together in the end so you know you kind of have to you have to be an active reader you have to stay focused on who's who and and what's going on but I never felt lost. Honestly, sometimes, you know, if you have a, a long form story with a lot of different plot lines going on, you know, you can get lost along the way. I managed to, you know, keep keep track of everything, everyone's names, luckily. So uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun to me. All of a sudden, I just the Coen brothers just jumped into my head. I just I was flipping through uh, the the story and I saw a panel that just kind of made me think of Miller's Crossing. Like I could I also see some uh, some Coen brothers in here as well oh this is totally like fargo like if you watch yeah. fargo on fx like this is this is fargo down basically pat. what you're saying basically what we're saying here is that if you are a cinephile if you're a film nerd you'll enjoy this or if you know a cinephile or a film nerd and you're trying to get them into comics this is a book that you can give them and be like look you like movies you would also enjoy comic books yeah this is not a comic book this is a screenplay <laughs> this is a movie i mean it has the artwork and everything like that but it's it's everything in pre-production for a film from like set design to, you know, uh, wardrobe to everything. Like you just hand this book to the director and be like, make the film. Yes. I would totally, I would go see this movie. I We've seen this movie. But I would go, but I would go see this movie. I don't know. It's, so are you saying? So are you saying if if they made it into a movie, you don't think it would do very well because people would just be like, "Oh, I liked it better when it was Train Spotting" or something like that. Like I, well, no, you'd have to get a better looking lead. 
Like you'd have to get a better looking lead guy. And like Why? Jimmy Savage is not an attractive man. I understand that. But like if you're gonna sell tickets, you need to put the gosling as Jimmy Savage. Hundred percent disagree. I want a hundred and fifty percent disagree. Well, that's why you're not in the film industry. You know, you gotta Oh rub it in white aren't you? <laughs> uh you know you gotta get you you gotta give this uh this has got to be like an idris alba as jimmy savage i go see that shit no it wouldn't work man i just alba is way too classy and like suave okay you don't so you don't think he has acting range he does but just is and i mean he's played low class like thugs previously too i mean i just Alba's freaking phenomenal he could do whatever he wanted to i would see him in this i'm not saying that i wouldn't obviously i would freaking see him in this but no i feel like you just need you need a schlub you need a schlub to play jimmy savage because he's it won't work otherwise like like not even just aesthetically like yeah he's drawn as a schlub but everything he does the way he acts like you can't have a buff like i just elbow ryan gosling type doing this you need like uh, uh, a paul giamatti or something like no it's paul not giamatti. it's not paul giamatti it's uh it's i was thinking paul giamatti because paul giamatti played harvey pecker in american splendor and uh that name is on my mind so that's that's why i went to, to giamatti no this guy is michael rapaport no i could totally see that i could totally see rapaport doing this this is totally michael rapaport right here uh, rapaport has the temperament for it and everything uh, he might be a little old now, uh, but this is this is totally a Micah Rapaport film, if there was one. But again, if you're trying to make a movie and sell tickets, you gotta pretty up the main actor. That's what you gotta do. We're not if trying to win Oscars. If, if you're if you're making a big budget blockbuster, yeah. But Savage Town, if it ever went into production, you know this is gonna be like a low budget indie, and low budget indies have unattractive people starring all the time. Like, you know, a little Matt Damon action there. You know, like You're a- so dedicated to this idea. <laughs> like I don't fine. Nothing <laughs> I say is gonna change your mind. Fine. Well hire Matt Damon. Don't play Jimmy Savage. We're apparently producing this movie. <laughs> It'll be out in twenty twenty. I gave you the true it. pick. I gave you the true pick. Uh, Michael Rappaport is like the true pick. But Michael Rappaport doesn't have the box office draw. You know? He doesn't. <laughs> so you gotta put a little Matt Damon on it. Little, little rebel, little Matt Jamin on it. I don't know. I'm trying. I don't know too many like redhead Irish guys that I can pull out of nowhere. Um, you know, you McGregor might work. I mean, it definitely works. We've seen Train Spotting. Love, uh, love me some you McGregor. I'm skimming through this book and I just came across a panel where <laughs> where a girl is giving a guy a hand job in a car. Everything happening like, you know, below the dashboard, you can't see anything. But she has like this determined look on her face, like her tongue is sticking out the corner of her mouth. Like she's so determined. And I just landed on that panel and I felt like I had to bring that up. I love like the little subtleties of this story. If you like subtleties and uh, like, you know, we, we just talked to Matt and Chip and they have a ton of subtleties and background gags. You get some of that here in Savage Town as well. It's uh, nothing is nothing's really wasted. I want to talk to it's- Jordy Belair about the pimples. In this book, there's a lot of pimples in this book. There are. I'm actually I'm on the following page where we see this guy's ass. <laughs> his and there are ass pimples pimple. on his ass as well. No, this 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 uh, this one scene from the book or this you know this little action part right here is straight out of 
like train spotting. This is totally out of train spotting. Like the, these four pages of what's going on of like trying to date a girl, hooligans try to beat you down, other guys getting a handy in the car and he has no pants on. Like it's just, and then accidents happen afterwards. Like it's just, just the collage of everything that's going together is insane. I just, I, 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 as I flip through it again, just I love the art in this book. Like we talked about, and we, and we talked about Jordi Belair's colors being amazing. You know, we talked about the art crumb influence, or, or, or just the style of the art, and, uh, but then, then you have these pages, kind of in between chapters, that break up, you know, the, the story, and they're, they're so different compared to the rest of the book, and like they're, they're detailed, they're just, it, it's, it's still Philip Barrett. But it's it's totally different style, and it just shows the range of this guy. And I I love the use of negative space, and, and even lack of color. Like there are some panels where it's just white background, like no definition. It's just negative space, and I, I just love the visual aesthetic of it. It just it's really interesting. And I think if they translated, if they ever did translate this to a film, which I know we're talking about that a lot, and I don't think I'll you know there's there's no, I don't know if there's any speculation about that, but we're talking about if they ever did, I think that it would, uh, it, they would really need to, you know, make this look like a comic book. I would love to see that. Two questions, and you can answer. You them. only get one. You only get one. Okay, uh, I'll choose the more important. Are you upset with the wife? Yeah, you oh. can ask a second question if you want a second question. What's up with the horse? <laughs> I thought the horse was dead. As as soon as we meet the horse and Jimmy's just like, oh, I love this horse, and he's feeding the horse, I'm like, oh, this horse is gonna die. Like they're definitely killing. So this the horse, horse was a red herring. I think, I mean, the horse still might die in a future volume if if they do do more. Uh, but I mean, horses kind of kind of like most animals, don't they? You know, they symbolize freedom, right? Like they're like Jimmy is stuck in this grind. He's stuck in this town in poverty. You know, being a gangster, doing all this crap, and he loves this horse because a horse to him probably symbolizes freedom and getting out there and roaming and stuff. So yeah, but that, it's pen. But then I guess if you're going meta, it's penned in in this small little backyard condo. Like it's like me yeah. having so he probably a horse in, to it. It's like me having a horse in my backyard. I was like, are we allowed to do that? Can you get away with that? Like, I mean, is there something going on in Dublin so, that I don't know about so yeah, where you so, can keep so horses keeps- in your backyard? <laughs> he probably relates to the horse and fantasizes about the the idea of a horse of you know of of roaming oh, okay. and being free. You do not say you fantasize about horses. I don't fantasize about horses. Let's make that clear. You right said it. Now. It's, we can go back to the to the audio. No, no, Jimmy. I said Jimmy. He he fantasizes. I have to talk to your girlfriend. I'm really confused right now. <laughs> Uh, but no, yeah, I, I think the horse is is a powerful metaphor. And yeah, I'm angry with the wife. But again, I don't think that that's going to be an aspect of the story that we're going to get a happy ending on. I don't think we're going to get full fulfillment or closure on. I think that's just another shitty part of life that they are giving us. Because again, that was kind of added towards the end of the book. They never really explored it too much. It's just another part of this shitty world in Limerick City. Yeah, no, there's I'm trying there's a few panels at the end and I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. Like the guys switching shoes. Like there's like a red and blue sh- they're both wearing red shoes, but then they switch off and they're both wearing red and blue shoes. Like I don't understand like what that meaning on that is. Like it's I think it kind of like this kind of the ending of the book, the last like five pages remind me of the wire. Where they just show you like little snippets of each area 
and as the closing, but I don't know what any of this stuff means. Yeah, they're just they're they're wrapping up, you know, the, like they're all I mean, every panel, again, is just like packed full of stuff. The shoes. Uh, I need to go back. Wasn't oh, there a thing oh, in the Oh, I just figured it out because they show it in the thing. The guy getting out of prison is Jimmy's brother. Little brother, I think. Oh, I thought it was going to be his dad. It could be, but he doesn't look that old. But there's a picture of Jimmy. The mom's holding a picture of Jimmy, and he's got the green sweater on. And then there's a, like, a little guy. And I'm assuming that the little guy is Jimmy's brother. See, I read that differently. I read the little guy as being Jimmy and the bigger guy being Jimmy's dad and then that being Jimmy's dad getting out of prison. No, because no, no, because if you look at the, if you go back to where, like, the kid's, like, beat up on the ground and it's, like, playing he's soccer. He's wearing the sweater, yeah. He's wearing the same sweater. You know, it could be, but the other reason I was going dad is because he had that confrontation with his mom where he's like, oh, you wouldn't let anyone know I was a traveler. Like, that's my great shame. And travelers capitalized, like, like a name would be. So I'm guessing that's his actual last name is Traveler. And if they're hiding that, it would mean that his dad, you know, senior Traveler, you know, wasn't a good guy and would have gotten them in trouble and they're hiding from him and they're changing their last name. Uh, So that's why I assume that was his dad anyway. But maybe, maybe it's his brother. Who knows? See, now you have to read volume two. I don't know about that one. Now I'm looking at, I'm looking at Jimmy and I'm looking at the brother like the guy in the red shirt, like he looks cleaner cut and he just drawn younger. He's buffer, but he's drawn younger than Jimmy. Like in present day. If you look at very fish. well, very well could be his brother. It's a relation regard. Either way, it's, it's definitely a relation. Man, you love your semantics. I do. What I'm, do you, what I'm, do you, I'm, I'm a real pain in the ass. My girlfriend loves me. Believe me. She loves, she loves my, my semantics. <laughs> what do you, what are you giving this book, buddy? I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it a four. That's where I'm sitting. I'm sitting at a four. I'm sitting at a four. Robots. I mean, I'm not a huge fan or stylistic fan of the artwork. It's not my cup of tea, but it does work for the story. So I don't. I don't want to like give it any like negatives on that. Like that's my own personal personal no it was, preference it was a there. Sty- it was a- it was, there, was, there was clear purpose to the style. Again, I, I felt the same way. It took me a little while to get used to the art style, but it, it's there for a purpose. Honestly, in in talking to you, you know, during this episode, you know, I, I gained a little bit more respect for this book because, you know, kind of unpacked it. And I, you know, there is a lot more subtlety and class to this story than, you know, a first look might suggest. Yeah, no, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of thought put into the book. You know, but the overall story is kind of generic to me. Like, I like I love all the characters and building, but, like, what goes from place to place, like, the over-ending arc, I, you know, you almost don't even need it kind of thing with these characters. Yeah. And, I, and I love stories like that, though. Like I said, I love the, you know, the Atlantas and the better things and the train spottings and, you know... The Cohen brothers, you know, I love I love these kind of slice of life stories, and uh, so I'm I'm all for it, guys. Check it out; it's in stores today. Hi, Anthony. You have a good week. You too, sir. Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. 
My co-host Anthony is also on Twitter at the underscore great underscore ace. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on Blog Talk Radio. If you have a chance, we would greatly appreciate a review of our show on iTunes. As always, the best way to listen to this show is on our website, monkeysfighterrobots.com. Well, that was fun. Who's for Chinese? There are so many people that made the 13th episode of the comic show on Monkeys Fighting Robots a success. Go check out Uncanny Heroes in Tampa. Special shout out to my co-host, Anthony Composto. Well, bollocks. <laughs> Jessica Wynn designed the Monkeys Fighting Robots logo. Are you monkey? Are you robot? The staff of Visual Realm built our website and keeps us up running. To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you very much for your support. I'm Matt Sardo, and this is Monkeys Fighting Robots.